Blog Talk Radio. Jaime Romo from San Diego, 
an educator, consultant, author, and minister who promotes prevention and healing from child sexual abuse, particularly abuse by religious authorities or in the context of religious settings. A workbook he wrote called Healing the Sexually Abused Heart, a workbook for survivors, thrivers, and supporters is an integration of various disciplines that led Harmi to become a certified traumatic incident reduction facilitator. <clears throat> and that is known as TIR for traumatic incident reduction. Heine explains, while it is no secret that I am a survivor of clergy abuse, it is the journey of integration, transformation, and application that is most telling about my accomplishments and the life that I celebrate. Please visit Jaime's website at www.jaimeromo.org. And with that, I'm going to say hi, Jaime. Hi, Annie. Thanks for the intro. And I want to say hello to Victoria as well and to Philip. It looks like they're muted. Well, welcome anyway. Um, Heidi, why don't you go ahead? Uh, well, thanks. Um, so you may know, I mean, I, I used to be a, a, a professor. I taught teachers for several years. It was always about learning. And then that's during that time in, you know, 2001 was when my own um, trauma got triggered that had been suppressed for so many years you know, from um, my abuse as an adolescent. And that that was a process in itself of managing, you know, rage and and behind all that grievance um, was grief. And, and it was really in uh, that time that I became more involved uh, with, with traumatic incident reduction and really the healing side, not just the grievance side of uh, my experience. And then um, unexpectedly I became a hospice chaplain. I was kind of drawn into that with my dad. And that all that's to say that I deal with people at the end of life and what I find so like important, you know, like better late than never is when people can uh, acknowledge some old grievances and what's behind that, the grief, so they can let go of the that stuff that that keeps them from finding peace even at the very you know end of their life i mean there's a trajectory you know when people in their health and their dying process of you know going from i'm gonna i'm gonna be better than ever to you know okay well i'm not going to be as good as i was but i can still do a lot i'm still going to enjoy living and so on to i just don't want to be in pain and they're talking about physical pain but then even when that's managed, the bottom line is like, I don't want, I want to be at peace. I don't want to have emotional or spiritual pain and suffering. And, and so that brings me to the topic of forgiveness. Um, and so I was, my thought is uh, that we could have a discussion in kind of four parts. You know, the first part is like, what is, what do we think it is and what isn't it? And then, um, and I'll kind of start with thoughts and, and welcome the larger conversation. And then, you know, why is it difficult? Why is forgiveness difficult? 
and Ben, um, why we really need to forgive. Um, and then from there, maybe what's been helpful, you know, what some of our own experiences. Um, so how does that sound? That sounds really wonderful and well-organized. And, um, yeah, forgiveness, yeah. I have a lot to say about that. But I'll let you go first and get us started, and then we'll hear from, from me and from Victoria and from Philip. And uh, I'll give the phone number again. So please call in, mm-hmm. listeners. The phone number is 646-595-2118. Okay, go ahead, honey. Thanks. You know, and, and there are a lot of examples of extraordinary forgiveness. I mean, there's a a guy here in San Diego um, whose son, uh, Tariq Kamisa, you know, many years ago, I'm not sure how many now, maybe 15. Uh, so, you know, this uh, college kid going to the University of San Diego, you know, great kid doing a weekend job delivering pizza and, and someone... Um, you know, tried to rob him. You know, some kids, and and ended up, you know, shooting and killing him. And the one guy went to prison for it, of course. But uh, the grandfather of the shooter, the killer, the kid who killed, and the father of Tariq, who who was murdered, um, developed a relationship, and they became ambassadors for forgiveness throughout the county. I, I think they probably still do that. And, and then when the, the young man was uh, released from prison, uh, he started to work for the Tariq Kamisa Foundation to be an ambassador of you know, healing and, and learning from that. You know, we think about from different countries where there have been wars and um, the, the ways that people have found some recognition, re- reconciliation. So anyway, the F word, forgiveness, I don't mean like reconciliation, like people are going to have a face-to-face and uh, talk things out um, and end up somehow, you know, like in a conversation. I think there's a definition that's um, maybe sounds different, but it's forgiveness is when we give up the belief that the past can be any different. Um and so when we do that, we can at some point let go of that toxic impact of the past. When we do that, we're giving ourselves the ability to be more present. Um, and, and so a few more words. I don't mean approving of abuse by others. I don't mean minimizing others' wrongful actions or releasing them from accountability. Um, so I don't mean... Um, you know, where someone other you know, person acknowledges they're wrong and takes actions for to make amends and changes their behavior. That's what they may do. Um, but for our part, um, it's it's a way that we take care or take responsibility for our our physical health, our emotional health, our intellectual and our spiritual health. Um, and so, forgiveness, in my mind, is like house cleaning. Do you think about an hourglass? Um, like the, the big top part you might think of as the ego, you know, the, the things that we're really attached to. 
and I don't mean in some like big philosophical way, but just you know the ways that we identify, you know, our positions or our possessions or sense of you know what others think of us and all that. Those are normal things, but they can, can those can be really top heavy, and and then the narrow part is, I think the the letting go the um, the forgiveness point. You know, of letting go even of the things that we think are really important, let alone all the things that may have been so painful. And that allows us to go in the bottom part, this expansive, wide space, which we might, I think, call uh, our soul, maybe, or, you know, our, our, our spiritual, deeper self, our better self. So I know it's not, you know, just the image to me is useful um, because we can we can uh, get blocked from our best self when we're holding on to the things that are very real and have been very painful. Um, you know, and I, I just had a visit early today with a, a patient who's you know, in hospice and, you know, she has a, an adult daughter. So this patient's maybe in her eighties and an adult daughter who continues to tell the mom, you ruined my life. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, maybe as youth, maybe in the past, you know, you're an adult. You're responsible. We are responsible for our, our present, whatever our past has brought us. Um, so, you know, in short, it's, uh, forgiveness is giving ourselves the gift of being present, the gift of being in touch with a deeper sense of self, of, of integrating those past parts. Um, so that we let go of what's toxic and not useful and more able to work with the learning and be more whole and live in the present. So that's my first part, like what it is and what it isn't. Thank you. Okay. Well, I appreciate everything you said. Um, In my, I'll I'll answer first, In, in my experience, I've had a really hard time forgiving, and, well, as a matter of fact, I don't think I have forgiven my father, who was my abuser, um, because he never changed his behavior. He continued to be inappropriate with me on his deathbed. He never changed. And if someone doesn't change their behavior, I feel like you don't have to forgive them because they're still doing it. Of course, now he's deceased, so he's not doing it anymore. But I don't really feel a call to forgive him. Um, I just don't. I don't hold on to it because I've worked on the recovering from the abuse for many years now, for about 15 years, and I, I don't really suffer anymore. Well, I mean, not lay at all, but in general, I don't suffer so much anymore from some of the the symptoms and the results of child abuse. And I I have moved on. So I think I've moved on without forgiving. And Mm -hmm. I would love to hear what you have to say about that, Dr. Ronnie. Well, that's interesting um, because I guess... It's yeah, it makes sense. We we move we move forward. We don't have we're not still suffering from you know the uh, the effects the way we did and um, you know and maybe that 
that's uh, part of our work and part of, you know, over time, you know, just us being able to to move forward. Um, I guess just the idea that um, the forgiveness is it's not about that other person. I mean, maybe there's an aspect of letting go of that for the other person. Um, but I'm back to the forgiveness is like, us not not holding it. So maybe in a way that we're saying the same thing, but you're not calling it. You're, you're describing forgiveness in a, in a slightly different way. The action of, of I'm not carrying this burden of like resentment or revenge or you know something like my focus is on that other person. Um, so that's the the practical side. So maybe maybe in a way you you have forgiven, but calling it. You know, thinking of that word in a different way. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Let's call on first, um, Victoria, please. Are you there, Victoria? Sure. Yeah. This is uh, uh, Victoria, and thanks for that, uh, honey. Um, I actually looked up uh, the Mayo Clinic, which is out here in uh, Minnesota, is one of them. Um, it says, if you hold on to uh, pain, you might be the one who pays most dearly. By embracing forgiveness, you can also embrace peace and hope. Consider how forgiveness can lead you down the path of physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. This is what is forgiveness. Forgiveness means different things to different people, but in general, it involves an intentional decision to let go of resentment and anger. The act that hurt or offended you might always be with you. But working on forgiveness can lessen the act's grip on you. It can help free you from the control of the person who harmed you. Sometimes forgiveness might even lead to feelings of understanding, empathy, and compassion for the one who hurt you. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting or excusing the harm done to you. It also doesn't necessarily mean making up with the person who caused the harm. Forgiveness brings a kind of peace that allows you to focus on yourself and helps you go on with life. And... uh, um, Talks about uh, fix holding a grudge. You can find this on on the MayoClinic.org website. It says, how do I move toward a state of forgiveness? Forgiveness is a commitment to change. It takes practice to move forward to forgiveness. You might recognize the value of forgiveness and how it can improve your life. Identify what needs healing and who you want to forgive. Join a support group or see a counselor. Acknowledge your emotions about the harm done to you. Recognize how those emotions affect your behavior and work to release them. Choose to forgive the person who's offended you. Release the control and power that the offending person and situation have had in your life. Then it says, what happens if I can't forgive someone? Forgiveness can be hard, especially if the person who hurt you doesn't admit wrongdoing. If you find yourself stuck, practice empathy, trying to see the situation from the other person's point of view. Ask yourself about the circumstances that may have led the person behave in such a way, perhaps you would have reacted similarly. Well, I don't agree with that one. (laughs) Reflect on times when others have forgiven you. Write in a journal, pray, or use guided meditation, or talk with the person you found to be wise and compassionate, such as a spiritual leader, a mental health professional, or an impartial loved one or friend. Be aware that forgiveness is a process. Even small hurts may need to be revisited and forgiven again and again. And then um, but it, you know, then also goes on, what if they don't change? What if, um, 
um, let's see, um, does forgiveness guarantee reconciliation? Of course, no, <laughs> you know, and uh, um, then it talks about what if I'm the one that needs forgiveness. So mm-hmm. um, I, I did want to mention that um, back in the day, like, uh, you know, those of us that are in recovery, the recovery program, 12 steps, you know, there's a part in there where, you know, you ask forgiveness from the other people and stuff. And there's been a lot of people who have told people that have been abused that they had a part in it. And I just want to make sure that people know that, you know, um, they don't have a part in child abuse. You know, mm-hmm. the child does not have a part in child abuse. The adult is the one that, or the older one is the one that is uh, responsible and who did the harm. And uh, there there is nothing that needs to be forgiven for or, you know. I just want to make yeah, that real yeah. clear because I know that mm, some people sure. and their sponsors have told them, well, you play a part in it, you know. And they've gotten really confused. Well, now there's some mm-hmm. literature that's even come out with the 12 steps that talks about if you are being abused and not just in child abuse, but all kinds of abuse, that you are not at fault. And uh, I think that's really important to people to remember, you know. For me, I developed MPD, and I had an altar that was called Rage. <laughs> that was just what her name was, Rage. Mm-hmm. And uh, would um, punch out windows and scream and yell and just, you know, uncontrollable anger. And uh, that that was really scary for me. Um, because I worked so many years in therapy and, and I can understand why I can't understand why he did what he did, but I can say that I know he was really a really sick individual and Mm. very scary. And I don't believe that he had a conscience. I can't remember what that's called, but it didn't seem like it was always, everything had to be to his gratification, no matter what, you know. And mm. and although I can't understand that, nor do would I want to, because I might be that way, <laughs> um, I really have pity on him and, and mm. people that don't realize that the harm that they're causing, that mm. they can't even come to a place where they can realize what they've done has hurt a child, you know, with yeah. a child abuse. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it breaks my heart that... Um, uh, some people are still blaming the victim, you know, kind yeah. of abuse, but, you know, yeah. that, that just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I've also been in a lot of meetings with like people from AA that go, oh, I don't know. I've already told my kids that I'm sorry for what I did, you know, and I was drinking and this and that. And I said, that's not really an apology if you say, you know, I'm sorry I abused you, but I was drinking, you know. Or because I'm an alcoholic or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I ended up writing an amends letter to my daughter. And wasn't like I outrightly did anything. But I had put my kids in permanent foster care because they were on, like, a revolving door of a foster home because I was in a revolving door of psych unit. And I, I did a, um, a men's letter to my daughter because just for the fact that one of the things I said in it was, you know, um, you might have felt abandoned all the times that I went to the psych ward and, you know, you were mm. going in and out of foster care. And basically I just stated some facts 
that I thought she might be heard about and said that I was sorry. And like I told yeah. this one woman who said, I told my daughter I'm sorry, whatever I can. Well, if she's still bringing up stuff, then obviously she doesn't feel like you've said that you were sorry for that particular thing. You can't just, I mean, you can put a blanket statement on, but it would help us. You said, well, let's leave this con- which I do with my daughter, we'll leave this conversation open, you know. And, and, you know, if you think of some things you want to talk about or you still have, you know, pain over something, feel free to come to me. Mm. We'll talk about it, and, you know. But um, to not just say I, I made, you know, I made an apology, it should be over. <laughs> mm. And then I, I actually wrote her a five-page letter. Yeah. Um, because every time I tried to bring some stuff up, she'd go, oh, got nothing, you're so emotional. Or that's in the past, mm. you know. But yet yeah. I could tell she was angry at me, you know. Yeah. And and she really wouldn't come out and say why or what or anything. So I kind of had a guess, you know, mm-hmm. when I did the letter. But it yeah. it helped our relationship, you know. Um, she had a lot of anger toward me. And after I wrote that, she was calling me like every week to ask me how I was doing. And before that, she wouldn't call me at all. Mm. Wow. So I think, you know. Just me making that that attempt or, you know, mm. I had uh, two people read it over to make sure I wasn't saying I'm sorry, but, you know, because mm. you can use the but word a lot and that whatever sentence you're saying, if you say but and then another sentence, you know, like, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry that um, I was had to go in the psych ward and you had to go in foster care, but I was sexually abused as a child and had a lot of mental problems, mm-hmm. you know. It totally mm-hmm. wipes out the first half of that whole thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. so for me, it was really important to not have any of that in there. So I had my Ellen on sponsor, another friend, read it over, and they said, oh, you did a great job. You know, so then I felt confident mm-hmm. in giving it to her, you know. So I don't know if any of that. Well, you bring up lots of things. Yeah, yeah. No, well, both of you brought up the idea of uh, difficult. Um, and that's the next section, and um, and immediately you started reading. Oh, can uh, we can we wait a minute? We got Philip on the line, and I don't know if he wanted to. We got his oh, yeah, mic yeah. on mute. Okay, great. Yeah, um, I don't have anything to say. Philip, are you there? Yeah, I no? don't have anything to say you don't. tonight. Okay, thank you. okay. Well, thanks for thanks for being on. Okay, we're gonna go okay. have some more. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Go ahead, you started with, you know, okay. reading some the benefits, and that's another, you know, like why that's the, the, not the next, but the following one after that, you know, why, you know, what's in it for us, why we must forgive. Um, but those, you know, what uh, one thing that really, two things jump out at me from what you're sharing, Victoria, is one that what a, you know, a great uh, gift to take responsibility as a parent and reach out to the kids and um, you know that a lot of people don't get that and so even though um, you know ultimately the people we impact are just like others who have impacted us you know we're the recipients or we get that experience that we're responsible mm-hmm. to find our way through to you know and not just alone of course but with resources with compassionate you know others and um mm-hmm. You know, and what a gift, you know, for you to um, express that, 
know, to open the door and then mm-hmm. the results, wow, all of a sudden, you know, because of that or, you know, following that, there was a much different kind of response on yeah. her part. Um, the other my, was, my dad would have had no, um, no way yeah. to do any kind of amends because I totally cut him off because he was a danger to be mm-hmm. around. And yeah. um, I yeah. changed my name and everything. Um, yeah. So there was no, whether he would have or not, I doubt, but, you know, there would have been no. But with my mom, she she came to Minnesota. I brought her to Minnesota. My daughter did hospice for her. And uh, um, we ended up talking before she passed away. And, uh, hmm. you know, she she kind of did the overall blanket, you know, I'm sorry, I heard the things that happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I really felt that she was sincere. A lot of people might think that was like a deathbed apology mm-hmm. or whatever, but mm-hmm. I really felt that she was sincere and we cried and we talked, you know, a mm-hmm. little bit and brought up some, you know, good memories too and stuff. And so, I mean, it was really for me a closure to her. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I didn't feel like it was like, you know, she's dying. And, um, I just, I cut myself off from her too for about five years. And then I found out that she was in a horrible situation in Texas and was dying and nobody was taking care of her and she wasn't taking care of herself. And so I got her to Minnesota and, uh, um, didn't really want to even go see her, you know, because I was still upset the way she treated me out there. And, uh, but, you know, I finally broke down and went out there and um, just kind of, you know, sick she was. And uh, I don't know. It just all kind of happened, mm. you know, how things yeah, happen. Yeah. You know, you just, right place, the right time, the right moment is supposed to happen or something. Yeah. Well, so two things. Now there's another thing. <laughs> this that... Um, Again, I work with people at the end of life. I mean, I what struck me when I was with my dad before I was officially in this role was, you know, that uh, so he was a violent alcoholic and he was absent in a lot of ways and he was abusive and dangerous. And but a, a day maybe two before he passed, an uncle um, showed up, really, you know, gentle, sweet man, and uh, just to visit, you know. And my dad said, hey, you know, compadre, I just, please forgive me for that time that I, I knocked you down. So he was referring to something that happened like 60 years earlier that he was, you know, dad was drunk. Uncle was trying to separate him from, so he wouldn't get in the fight. Dad pushed him mm-hmm. down. And it was like that was a proxy. It didn't mean, it didn't matter that he could not say anything, you know, to his kids or to mm-hmm. so many other people. But like that person mm-hmm represented an opportunity for him to sincerely, you know, say, um, you know, that's what I can remember. And the, the, what was behind it, I thought was what you were sharing, what your mom, I think, you know, that's, and that allows that person to be at peace because they're acknowledging something and they're letting go of something they've been carrying. Um, and that's what we want for everybody. Um, the other thing I just want to mention real quickly that you brought up, which I think is, uh, so normal is rage. You know, we have these seven drives in us, according to different neuropsychoanalysts, people who study the brain and the, who, why do we do what we do? And, you know, one of those is rage. And that comes, that's beyond, you know, anger and or hate. You know, that, that's like this deep response to something that is so unjust, that is so wrong. And mm-hmm. 
uh, so it's a normal built-in reaction and emotion, and emotions are there to help help us to do something, to take action, um, to to survive or to get out of something. So I just mentioned that is you know that it's a normal thing. I I carried rage. I didn't realize it for so much of my life, and I channeled it through sport or through studies or through whatever activities. Um, and eventually, you know, I was like projecting these 40-foot images onto the L.A. Cathedral and onto the San Diego Cathedral, and you know, I it's a it's a normal part of our process um, that you know it's not something we want to hold on to because it's toxic. It's not good for us physically. But uh, just want to highlight it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I wanted but, to uh, ask you a question too. I don't I don't think that I ever I don't know I I don't ever remember being like angry at him. Um, mm-hmm. I was always like, why is he doing this to me and how can I get out of it and how can I survive? But I was never, ever angry and I don't even know why, but, but I did have that rage, you know, I don't know if that even makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it does because, well, there's a, a normal experience is that we're ambivalent about things. You know, we have ambi, we have two feelings. You know, like ambidextrous, right? You can have both, you know, hands that are active. And and so we can, on one hand, feel, you know, a, a normal connection and desire to, to have, you know, an ongoing relationship as well as, you know, this rage. So it's both of them going on in a way that somehow allows us to be in the same space or, you know, well, I, I was. I guess degree. my question was: um, Is anger and rage the same thing? Because you mentioned rage was just feeling totally in, that it's unjust or whatever. And I don't know. I yeah. never. Okay, so maybe I was. I think of anger as wanting to get back at the person, and I never like wanting to get back at them. Maybe that's what I'm mm-hmm. associating anger with. But I never had that state of wanting to get any kind of revenge. Or, and matter of fact, people would say, "Where is he?" You know. <laughs> Um, and I, I wouldn't say his name or anything because even my brother said that, you know, he wanted to go after him. And I said, what good mm. would that do? What happened to me happened to me, and I still have the effects of it. And if you went after him, you could probably get put in jail, and then I'd feel responsible for that. And it wouldn't change anything, you know. I yeah. never ever felt any feelings of wanting to get back at him. So maybe that's mm-hmm. what I'm pushing. Anger. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think of rage as the farther end of the continuum, you know, of you know annoyance and you know, anger and hatred, and then. You know, but I, I can speak from my own experience that um, I didn't know I had rage. It was in me and channel. You know, it, it motivated me in, in ways that I didn't realize. Uh, and uh, and so I could still you know, not feel that directly towards the abuser. You know, in my case, I was kind of disconnected. You know, I suppressed uh, mm-hmm. a lot of those experiences. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's again, it's, it's possible to, to to have it without quite being uh, expressing it directly to the person. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so, and then I know um, I didn't even start, you know, having any kind of feelings until I started therapy. I pretty much walked around numb. I used to call myself the walking mm. dead. And I could take, mm. like, a cigarette and put out my hand, and I couldn't feel it. I could have root canals without Novocaine. Um, yeah. It, I had no feelings, you know. I just shut off everything. And a big part of it was being, you know, just remembering being back a little girl, you know, and my grandmother saying, girls don't get angry, you know. I mean, it seems like to me when you shut off one emotion, you're shutting off all of them. <laughs> you know, it's, for yeah. me, that's what happened, you know. And then, and then when I started having emotions, they start coming up. Alcohol and drugs suppressed them for me, you know. And uh, that worked. And then when I got off drugs and alcohol, and that, that was at the same time where I started therapy, um, feelings started coming up, you know, that had never come up before. And I didn't know I had MPD until I started being in therapy for a while when all these different um, alters finally started coming up that I was able to deal with so much of this stuff that had been, yeah. like you said, suppressed for so long. And when it comes up for people, a lot of times it doesn't come in up 40s or 50s sometimes with people. And, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh, God, it means over 20 years or thought I was done dealing with and now all this stuff comes up so Mm -hmm. um you know when people say well I went to therapy for 10 years and now I'm over it and then all of a sudden why am I back in therapy or why is this stuff coming up again um talk about that like it like that Mayo Clinic thing was saying that you know you might think that you got over it and you forgave the person or whatever and then something else like re-triggers you if you want to use that word or comes up for you again Yeah, and you're bringing up a lot of things that actually relate uh, to the next uh, piece about why forgiveness is difficult. Um, may I say a few things about that? Annie, is that okay? I'm sorry, I was muted. Yes, of <laughs> course. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, so why forgiveness is difficult um, it's one one big thing is that the way we think about ourselves um, and the events in our lives they're they're altered when we are abused or experience trauma, and and often we can think that we caused the abuse or deserved it, um, and so we kind of internalize our own low self esteem. Um, and you, you mentioned, I think, Victoria, you know, just uh, using, you know, then um, taking on some kind of substance or other things that um, that take care of our, uh, or distract us from our sense of uh, that we deserve something or there's something wrong with us, uh, trying to find something that gives us a feeling of bliss or comfort or escape, um, and so that compounds, you know, why it's difficult um, because we take on some of that guilt and responsibility. Um, a good reason we don't uh, forgive is that we don't really understand many times what happened to us for a long time. Um, there's a an author, uh, Susan Clancy, has a book called The Trauma Myth, and she writes about how um, 
how much victims, uh, you know, or how close they are to the perpetrator, um, how much the, they felt cared about or loved, um, and and so it does. There, there's a lot of confusion there, and she actually says something. I think you just said, um, Victoria. He said, um, let me find it. Um, uh, well, let me just take a different quote from her. She says, from a, a victim, now an adult, uh, she says, you know, for two years while it was happening, I felt good about him. I believed him in all his life. I let him do whatever he wanted. It makes me sick, sick to think about how much I trusted him, how much for how long he took advantage of that. Um, and and so, in some degree, there was this sense of it wasn't as like traumatic um, when it happened, and um, and so there was a lot of confusion with that. We um, so we can turn that that blame and responsibility for ourselves. Um, it's difficult to forgive on like my experience was when we actually do turn that rage or you know attention to the abuser that anger there's an adrenaline rush to it and i know conscious or not you know that was something that um that was a powerful emotion to tap into um there's the uh, Carolyn Miss is a different writer, spiritual teacher. She says, you know, there's this idea of wanting to want to forgive, but not really wanting to forgive. I mean, it's general idea, but if we really forgive, it means letting go of stuff and, and not having that habit, that way of thinking of ourselves and the other person. It means change. Um, so let's see. There may be a bigger uh, trust issue, you know, of isn't there a step two of the 12 steps, trust that a power greater in ourselves can restore us sanity? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So, yeah. So it may be difficult for us to let go of our old images or understandings of a power greater in ourselves. Um, Maybe extra difficult. You know, some people have a real specific idea of God as a loving God and all that. You know, that um, means letting go of that as well that may have provided us some kind of sense of stability. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there's some, um, you know, some, some, I don't know, popularity, you know, to revenge and, uh, movies, you know, that make good action movies. And since that's such a, a norm, um, we may kind of lean into that. Um, just like, um, you know, even an introduction, any, uh, I guess I wrote that a while ago. It said, even though it's no secret that the survivor of, you know, clergy abuse, um, I don't identify as a survivor. That was an identity that I held on to for a while. Um, but at this point, I, um, identifies much more whole, uh, much more present. And so part of the difficulty of forgiving is, is also letting go of an earlier version 
of ourselves, I think. Um, and, and maybe the, the last piece that uh, you brought up, Victoria, is when, at least for me, when I realized I was abandoned, abused, and wrapped in shame, and then I in, basically abandoned myself and was abusive to myself and you know, ashamed, you know, so I was abusive because I was pushing so hard to be bigger, more perfect, I guess, than all the crap I felt. And and then I realized, you know, that I had done that to other people as abandoned them and been demanding to them and gave them name shame. So I, it, I, I had to acknowledge that I had internalized and done some harm to myself. And I think that was a hard thing and super important um, you know, to have compassion. And once I could have that for myself, I could have more compassion to see, oh, yeah, that person who did, you know, that, who groomed me, who, you know, plied me with alcohol and gifts and, you know, put me in, in, in that uh, position uh, and, you know, perpetuated all kinds of, of sexual abuse, um, they're very sick. I don't have to uh, be triggered. I don't have to have that same, you know, even in hatred, um, that that compassion for ourselves allows us to see others as well as, well, yeah, not, you know, saying you're not accountable. But, uh, yeah, you're not well. Or in that time, you're not well. So that's a, a bigger appreciation. But I think coming to compassion for ourselves also is super important and um, maybe makes it difficult to forgive others if we haven't been compassionate to ourselves. I'll stop there. Oh, one more time. Last thought, sorry. I know that a lot of people have not even gotten in touch with their abuse or this emotions of anger or whatever until the abuser has died or you know that somehow when a person is still living and as you mentioned any person has not changed their behavior yeah it makes it difficult for us to step back right um but that's that's also really common okay i'll stop <laughs> it can be scary too um, mm-hmm. being angry at somebody, you know, allowing yourself to have feelings toward the abuse mm-hmm. when somebody's still alive can be scary too. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think that anybody could be surviving in this world without feeling that they have to ask forgiveness from somebody, you know. I mean, like, even mm-hmm. in just, like, a regular relationship, you know, things are going to happen. I mean, they're not, like, huge child abuse. But things are going to happen that, you know, you say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry that, you know, whatever, you know, a person's feelings get hurt or whatever. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, we practice forgiveness, I believe, all the time. But some of us, for me, feel unforgivable, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't know. I, I was in meetings with this guy that kept saying, um good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And it just used to irk me so bad. Mm-hmm. One time it got mm-hmm. to my turn and, uh, and I said, well, I must've been a really awful baby because um, I was sexually abused before I was a year old. I got, I got to wonder what kind of awful baby I must've been. And I had felt that way all my life, but it came out of my mouth mm-hmm. in that meeting. 
because I had heard that so many times. Wow, that's really, um, for a person to say that and really believe it, it's really ignorant and misguided and so yeah. inaccurate. But, but I was kind of glad that he said it because it made me mad enough to actually say mm. those words out loud because I had felt that way yeah. all, you know, for so long. So sometimes yeah. adversity can, you know, you can get mad enough or you can get, you know, it makes your your, you know, brain start thinking of something, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I wasn't responsible for that, you know, mm-hmm. but until you hear the opposite and it sounds so off the wall, you know, yeah. that you have to go, wait a minute, why did I think that when I was a baby, I was a bad baby or that wouldn't happen, you know, but he yeah. didn't have contact with me until I was 15 years old. So my interest is a little bit different than others, people that started, you know, when they were younger and their parent was involved with them and everything, because I raised with my grandparents and I only see them once a year, like for an hour at a family reunion thing or a few hours, mm-hmm. you know, but besides that, he came back into my life when I was 15 and then he kept coming after me and after me and after me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it's a whole different dynamic than, you know, possibly other people. And, that's the important part, I think, with NASCA. So we all have our own stories and in how it all, you know, played out for our um, for our abuse. And it's all so different, but there's so many things in common that we just have to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Can I say something real quick? Mm-hmm. So that, that idea of how it really was helpful for this person to say something that was so off... Um, is a really, um, it's a gift in itself. It's kind of a paradox because what you're pointing to is like we often, everybody can inherit, whether they're spoken or not in other ways, you know, certain messages and Mm -hmm. um, they don't match, but we still, they're, they're still in us. And until sometimes someone else points out, like, is this what you're saying? That it doesn't, until then, we may not, like, realize that. Um, and, you know, there's an expression, I know that uh, water is wet, but I don't think a fish discovered that, something like that. You know, I think you've heard, you know someone yeah. discovered water is wet, but it wasn't a fish. Because we're swimming in our own ideas of what we've internalized until someone else brings that, names it that way. And then, yeah, we say, no, that is not true. What is true? Um, what a valuable you know, paradoxical uh, experience. But what I'm pointing to is how easy it is for us to swim in our own waters of misinformation and bad interpretation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was listening to somebody and they said, we're all in our, running around our own uh, hamster wheel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, all we care about is trying to get rolling on that hamster wheel. We don't realize everybody else is in their own hamster wheel. But I know a lot of things, too, like, you know, I went to this um, rape and sexual abuse center, and this lady said, um, rape is unwanted sex. And I went, did I ever want it? Mm. And it's just Mm. like, you know, all of a sudden it was like a new definition. And that's what happened to me when I started listening to other survivors, victims, um, talking about this and advocates and stuff, because it was like, I finally got a vocabulary to explain what had happened to me. Mm. I didn't have the vocabulary before. 
gives an expression to um, name the diseases to be able to cure it. And all this is like forgiveness is about curing ourselves, giving ourselves a perspective um, so that we can be healthier. You know, bottom line, forgiveness is for us. Um, but we have sometimes to have a vocabulary to even understand, you know, what we've been carrying around. Mm-hmm. Annie, how are you doing there? <laughs> Haven't heard from you. I'm here. I've just been listening. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm very interesting what you guys are saying. Mm-hmm. I think too that like some some words, you know, like um, like you said, what's just like I like looking up definitions and stuff because sometimes I have such a like the word love to me, you know, when somebody said they loved me, that meant I owed them, you know, and that's mm. not what the word love means. <laughs> but, but that every time I heard the word love, that's what it meant to me because mm-hmm. that had been my experience, you know. And so I wouldn't want to say that word to somebody else because I wouldn't want them to, mm-hmm. you know, and it took me a long time to be able to change that vocabulary in my mind so I could even use certain words. And forgiveness was yeah. a big thing because that word just had so much negativity for me. And uh, and I I thought about it in a certain way that, like I said, it, it's just, it's good to look at it different ways and kind of like a bigger mm-hmm. picture mm-hmm. than our narrow definition, maybe is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, all right. So thank you. This. The third piece is like why we must forgive. It's, I don't think it's like a nice recommendation or it's a nice thing to be a nice person to forgive. And bottom line is, you know, when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we hold on to this, um, you know, sense of the the past is in my present, like it's we're still in the in the here and now, we're in the here and then. It hurts our bodies. It causes us stress. And, you know, there's a lot of data about how the, when we're stressed, you know, the fight-flight hormones kick in, and those reduce, when those are present in the body, it reduces the growth hormones, you know, it redirects the blood from uh, our stomach to the arms and legs. And so, um, you know, that messes up with our uh, digestive system. And the platelet production goes on when the stress hormones are going us so over time that can lead to migraines or strokes you know our immune system is shut down so we lead to greater illness so i mean there's like health reasons that um holding on to stuff uh is is terrible for us um and then when we are um, more connected uh like letting go of things then uh, our blood pressure decreases and uh, all kinds of other symptoms like depression, anxiety, and those also decrease. Um, so it's, it's for our benefit, for our emotional health and our physical health. And I think mm-hmm. um, this idea that maybe it sounds more kind of uh, woo or new age or whatever, but this idea of you know the law of attraction um, that. Mm-hmm we attract, you know, what 
we're carrying as well. You know, we attract sometimes negative people and, and we may wonder about that. And there's something in us as well that maybe is connected to that. Um, and, you know, I, I think in my own experience, it, I wanted to be happier. I wanted to, to be in working with people or doing, being in spaces that I could bring my whole self and, um, you know, some of that is the environment. Some of the conflicts, you know, that I would end up having, certainly like with authority figures, I know that was some of my old stuff, you know, getting activated of confronting and wanting to punish that authority figure based on, you know, past hurt that I I was still feeling, maybe not even realizing it. Um, and there are examples of extraordinary people you know, um, Nelson Mandela, you know, after all that years of torture, um, when he, by example, taught, you know, the people who were in, when he was president, you know, in his party who wanted to punish, by example, he, uh, allowed them, you know, the, the, the dignity his abusers to um, to be welcome to to belong to this new country. Uh, years ago, I heard Dr. Edith uh, Eager. She survived Auschwitz, uh, and, and she was part of those horrible um, human experiments. Um, and she showed pictures of her dancing for him, uh, the torture as a child, knowing that he had killed her family members. And she was this amazing, like, vibrant soul. She's a spiritual powerhouse. And she said, "If I, I realized that if I didn't forgive this guy, uh, Mengel, and the German guards, they would be running my life as long as I lived, you know, so long after she was out of the concentration camps. Um, so all that to say, you know, we don't do it perfectly. I certainly don't. And I know. And so I... I intentionally work towards forgiveness because it's about freedom. Um, so first for ourselves and then for others. So that is my case for why we must forgive. What do you think? So I, I have a kind of a question and, and then I'll tell you what my, what my kind of reason for asking is. Um, so I'm sure that you work with people that have been child abusers. Mm. And uh, um, so um, how do you, uh, um, like, you you pretty much have to be at a certain point to do this, I'm sure. But I was asked by a friend of mine who, um, she worked with um, uh, abusers that are in treatment, and she had asked me mm. to come to speak to them. And I've had people tell me, no, don't do that. And I really want to, and I don't know if I'm off by wanting to. It's not like I want to go tell them off. It's like I want them to understand uh, um, that they can get healthy too and they can quit using. And I don't know if Mm -hmm. that's like really off or is it a good thing or bad. I don't know. You can really label it, but Mm. what are your ideas on that? Um, Well, I consider my experience and then an idea. 
So um, I was, it was back in 2008, and I was still, you know, doing a lot of advocacy work. I'd already had PS, PTSD. I think it was kind of coming out of that. Um, I had educational background, understanding leadership and organizations. And I was in a little church where um, their stance was, you know, everybody's welcome and uh, a registered sex offender showed up and uh, wanted to be up front, you know, saying I've, I've done my time, I'm, you know, doing my follow-up program and, and, I, and I also want to attend, I want to belong, I want to feel a sense of, you know, connection and spiritual growth and with community. And and people flipped, you know, it, it actually made national news um, mm-hmm. because uh, people who are in that community had years of lifetimes of abuse that had never been resolved and they got triggered. So mm-hmm. uh, as a result, you know, I was part of the team that was going to work with him. And the first time I met in that little small group, um, I don't remember the conversation. I'm, I'm sure I shared some of my experience. Um, but when I stepped out of that, um, my wife said, oh, my God, what happened to you? Why are your eyes so red? And I didn't realize, I mean, I guess the blood pressure must have been pretty high and I must have been really mm-hmm. triggered. And so that was, you know, I was trying to do a good thing. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't recognize how much it was going to affect me. Um, yeah. As a result, um, you know, I continued to do my own work, and um, that led to my formal role as a minister. And, I, and I'm saying this that I'm not like a real religious person. I'm very not a very much not a dogmatic person. Um, mm-hmm. But I took up a ministry for healing and healthy environments, specifically around <laughs> abuse prevention and intervention. And um, right. Since that time, I have not worked directly with abusers. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know. Because I know uh, I've spoken so many places. I know I've spoken to abusers. I know that oh, yeah. there are abusers sure. at the AA club I go to that I have spoken, you know. And I've said, you know, like blanket statements, like, you know, no matter what you've done in your life, you can, you know, stay sober and, you know, and welcome in this community and, this and that, mm-hmm. and, you know, of course, if somebody came and was actively abusing a child, say, at the club or, you know, something like that, that'd be totally mm-hmm. different, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, it, it's because the group is a group of abusers, you know, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily child abusers, um, yeah. a lot of, you know, probably a lot of them are met. You, I would imagine. Yeah. But I'm not sure. But I thought um, yeah. maybe maybe a place to start would be um, asking, talking more to the person that runs group because she just works for this guy, and uh, mm-hmm. talking to him about because another thing I'm worried about is, you know, I'm not just gonna, you know, I'm also gonna say, um, you know, I'd like you to think about, you know, your childhood and you know what happened to you for you to think this is mm-hmm. okay. And uh, mm. um, I wouldn't want to say that without them having something in place, you know. I yeah. wouldn't want to. I feel that would be setting people up. 
Yeah. So I'm concerned about the aftermath for the people I'm talking to. Yeah, I think uh, it's important to have some education before you know bringing up things that could be very triggering. Mhm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So it's you know it's something I was asked a while back ago, and I just you know have been kind of throwing it around and asking a few different people and got some people that go no way you know automatically mm-hmm. and you know but like I said I've been you know doing speaking since 1985 and I know you know that I've talked in front of a lot of abusers because. I was doing this one group called Organizing Against Pornography, and I was doing another one, Whisper, Women, Hurt, and Systems of Prostitution, Engaged in Revolt. And if you show up for that, you already know <laughs> hmm. <laughs> what we're saying, you know, and, and spoke to kids in schools and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I know many of many, many of them have been abusers, you know, but um, hmm. but I don't know what they left with. That's what I always wonder, you know, do they leave with why I need to get into some therapy because it really mm-hmm. affected me what that person said about being abused, you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, I have, I have kind of some empathy too, as far as uh, not wanting, you know, somebody to go into a tailspin because they're not yeah. only in, uh, in there for being abusive, they're in there for recovery from drugs and alcohol as well. Or one or yeah. the other, you know. Yeah, I, I really appreciate um, hearing, you know, the compassion, you know, and, and the perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need across the board to actually be more um, able to, mm-hmm. to move forward. So, no, yeah, because we need to be having these conversations, and you know, if if I'm not one to go in there, who is? <laughs> That's the way I yeah, look at yeah, it. You know? <laughs> Yeah. At least I um, wouldn't be the one that comes in there and starts screaming at them because I'm not. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. You know. Right. I mean, I I talked to a lot of people. Matter of fact, when I went um, to the first, um, I was just really recently sober, and I went to a um, state conference called Go for State here in Minnesota for AEA, and I went out there and I just stayed up three days. It was fantastic. I just had the greatest time. They took like 24-hour meetings, you know. And uh, they had just a huge schedule of stuff all the time. And uh, I happened to be sitting there and uh, told the, told this guy that uh, I'd been used to prostitution. And, and he told me he was a pimp. Hmm. And I sat down and had a conversation with this guy. Hmm. I'd scream or yell or blame or nothing. I just, you know, told him what happened to me hmm. and how it impacted me. And because of he was hmm. doing this, that was, you know, this is what he was doing. And, you know, I think we need to have these conversations. I really do. Yeah, and I think uh, it's uh, not common. I think it's extraordinary. And, again, I just want to acknowledge that for you to have the capacity and the compassion, openness, that's uh, it's awesome. Because, you um, know, if I would have heard it before I was sober, you know, I wouldn't have said nothing. I would have just went inside myself mm-hmm. and went home and maybe, you know, done something to myself because I was into a lot mm. of farm, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, because I was, I was very uh, introverted and very uh, much, um, you know, they have what, uh, passive, assertive, and aggressive, and I was completely mm-hmm. passive, 
totally mm-hmm. passive. As a matter of fact, when I went and they gave us a list of passive, assertive, and aggressive, I tried to start being assertive. For me, it felt like I was being aggressive because mm-hmm. I had never been assertive my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know how that felt. That felt very, very strange when I started being assertive. My family didn't like it. You know, they told me, what happened to you? And I said, well, I'm just learning how to be assertive. We don't like that. <laughs> yeah. They didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, it represents change in a system that has gotten used to what it is, mm-hmm. how it's worked. I, yeah. I lost family. I lost friends. I didn't even have to get rid of them. They left. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had friends that just left because they just went and got new friends that they could use because I wouldn't mm. no longer let them use me. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, so they didn't change, yeah. you know, to mm-hmm. still be in a relationship with me, which made me feel bad because, you know, they left me until I realized yeah. I have room now to make healthier friends. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So that's, that's know, how I look we, at it. When somebody leaves me, I don't take it personally. I just go, well, they got that room for a healthier friend. <laughs> yeah. And and that's um, – and. That, a, a way to think about change. Like, you know, we don't change and and take on a new behavior or maybe a healthier way of living uh, until we let go of the other. Right? Yeah. And we don't let go of the other until we actually really want and, you know, see something mm-hmm. that we want better. Right. Um, Speaking kind of, of doing the, something healthier, I got 31 days off smoking cigarettes. Hey, I haven't smoked awesome. for 31 days. Yay! It's not a small thing. Yep. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I was smoking well, one pack you... a day, which is $10 a day. So that's $310. Yeah. But then you yeah. go up and Good. smoke. Right. Literally. Wow. So this this actually is a nice, again, I don't mean action. This is a great segue to the piece, the last piece I had in mind, which was like what's helped us. You know, and, and some of the learnings about forgiveness, and you just uh, mentioned um, one right now, and why did I just forget it? Um, so before I get to I'd like to read this poem about, uh, it's from Gareth Higgins, who is this Irish writer who lived through the, uh, you know, the, the killings between Catholic and Protestants in Ireland, and his his focus is about compassion and, and understanding, you know, rage and suffering and and um, you know injustice and um, and being an ambassador for for peace and um, peace is is not just interpersonal peace is systemic peace is is actually about justice. So uh, another reason for why we need to forgive is because that allows for a change towards justice and justice is what is the foundation for peace for uh, our society. Um, but anyway, I sound very preachy. Um, is it a, a, it's called a blessing for breath. I'd like to read it because I think it, it honors and highlights um, the journey for, for us um, to be more at peace and being able to put our experience in context with uh, other spiritual giants. It goes, breathe, 
knowing that every molecule within and without your body is stardust and imbued with the light of God. Nothing separate, all a spiral into and from love. Breathe, knowing that the worst pain in your life has already been experienced by the mercy of the universe. Breathe, knowing that if the stones yearn to become cathedrals, then you, enfleshment of divinity, mingling of the sacred and profane, are a little lower than the angels. You are not the sum total of the worst things that have happened to you or the worst things you have done. Breathe. Knowing that the ones you admire the most, the Gandhis and Mother Teresas and Fannie Lou Hamers and those who clear landmines and lie down with lions for the sake of peace, these are the fruits of lives that have been crucibled in suffering. No one becomes great without first being brought low. No one develops true empathy for the greatest suffering without touching some of that suffering themselves. Breathe. So I want to offer that breathing in the goodness that we are breathing out, whatever is toxic, as kind of a metaphor for, you know, what helps us to to move on. You know, um, I think it was, you know, going from passive, being from just a receptacle of all kinds of others' experience and projections and abuse to being assertive, to having our, our self, to having our own voice. And, you know, Victoria's point up the difficulty, how unfamiliar that may feel, how it may feel like we're being aggressive. In my case, I thought I was being assertive and I was being aggressive because you know, I was so pissed off um, when I was really in touch with you know, my own trauma and abuse. Um, but I'll just, you know, say for me, um, what has been helpful was is the idea of um, introducing a grounding practice. Uh, and for me, that was meditation. Certainly the physical, you know, movement, running, doing things physical to, to process some of that stress. But the ongoing practice of Meditation has been very, very grounding, you know, and, and it was accompanied when I first took, uh, learned and began to practice with, you know, the recognition of a process of really acknowledging and then better understanding what happened to me and then as a result, you know, how I, how I perpetuated that, you know, my own suffering in different ways or, or others. Um, so... Both, you know, the recognition, the dealing with the emotional um, upset, and and then the spiritual grounding. You know, finding something that's meaningful for me. For some people, it's nature. For others, it's you know, service. Um, I, I just led a, a service for um, a patient and the family, and this person clearly had a lot of trauma growing up, and service was her way of transforming that, you know, making sure that others had uh, more opportunities or resources than she had. Um, so um, TIR was, was a huge gift, and, and that's why I became a facilitator and why I'm a trainer now and why I still hope uh, 
um, and working towards introducing and doing trainings in uh, in large organizations, um, healthcare organizations perhaps, or um, with groups that are, are working with mental and behavioral health, um, because. That cleared some of the triggers that uh, didn't get cleared when I did a traditional therapy or when I did sweats or when I did group work, group therapy. Um, those are all maybe helpful in little ways, but to me, traumatic incident reduction, TIR, is um, it's really powerful. And I'll just, I won't say more about that, um, but to say, you know, we... We need to find ways to to do that root canal of you know understanding, facing, and releasing you know the stuff that is toxic in us, and then have something else that draws us into a bigger self, you know, a more an experience of compassion for ourselves and others. Um, so I'll stop there. What's helped you? Thank you, honey. Um. I've been listening, and I, I I identify with so much that you're saying, and I'm writing it down. But I don't really have a comment on it, except I wanted to respond to Victoria's saying, if it's okay, Victoria, saying about oh, sure. assertiveness. Uh-huh. Um, because I was never assertive. I was taught not to be assertive um, in my family and in my school because – Back then, women shouldn't be served, you know, and they teach you that. Yeah. And, and and in my life, that really let me be injured because I wasn't assertive. Even in work, yeah. I was abused because I couldn't mm-hmm. be assertive. But now I'm assertive. I'm not really sure where the change happened, but it happened. And now I feel comfortable talking about what's bothering me. And mm-hmm. I'm not afraid anymore. So I, I just want to do that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be afraid anymore to say what, what's on your mind and heart. <laughs> yes. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a total transformation. And, you know, a lot of people ask you certain things like, well, when did that happen for you or whatever? You're like, I don't know just happened you know it's like almost like magic you know but it it really isn't and like you know I know that we're talking only about forgiveness and it's like like you were saying it's a process you know it's not like mm. this magical moment <laughs> you know like in uh 12 steps we talk about spiritual awakening and some people think you know God's got to come out of the heavens and reach his hand down or whatever you know <laughs> but you mm. know parents so many moments during every day I have spiritual awakenings, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, just now like with the leaves coming down, you know, the fall or whatever, and it's like, you know, the season's changing, like our life's change, and, you know, I remember which songwriter that was, you know, for every something there is a season, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's just uh, um, so many things that you just draw from to like almost get energy from like you said meditation to me that's mm-hmm. really important um i have one lady i listen to her named jess shepherd and she's on youtube and she's got a whole bunch of videos and it's it's um like the law of attraction re, uh, reprogramming to positive thinking and you know kind of like what you said about 
the pos- having positive energy and positive things coming to you. And, uh, um, you know, she mentioned one thing I was listening today, and she says uh, um, having gratitude um, is, is the closest you can be spiritually to your creator, you know, mm. is, is gratefulness and how that brings about joy and peace to you. If you just sit there and be, you know, grateful um, for what you do have, you know. And and sometimes that's really hard to do. And she also talks a lot about um, not not always functioning from a place of wanting or needing or desperation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know when I when I think that way, it's like it's just like the opposite of gratitude. <laughs> Mm-hmm. When you sit and go, you know, I wish I had that, and you know, this and that, and you know, like I said, just telling somebody you know, gratitude is, I can, you know, think of like when I was homeless out in Houston, Texas, and the wind was blowing, I was freezing cold, and for five minutes I could stand behind a building and get out of the wind, and I was so grateful for that five minutes, but I knew I couldn't stand there longer than five minutes, so reality struck that I had to get out of there because. I didn't even have a dollar in my pocket and I could have been arrested for vagrancy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but I did have those five minutes of gratitude and it made me feel really good that, you know, that I did have some things I could be grateful for. Mm. I love what you said about gratitude. I, I agree. It's uh, good for us. That's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, it's a common suggestion and, and practice uh, that I have with many of the patients and families that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it puts our attention on things that are meaningful that help us to be more whole. It's, it helps us to generate positive, you know, serotonin, dopamine, things that are good for our own, you know, reduction in stress and um, so mm-hmm. overall good for our, our physical health. Um, but yeah. Yeah. What a, what a gift. It is, yeah. And I tell you what, these puppies are great. We've got six puppies, so we got puppy therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody wants to come to Minnesota, we got Minnesota. we got uh, puppy therapy over mm-hmm. here. <laughs> they are so cute. They're just adorable. So we were trying to take pictures today. My worker was here, and she's trying to take pictures and I'm trying to arrange them. Try to get six puppies to all look at you at once. (laughs) 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 But it was just so much fun. You sent me a beautiful picture of them, Victoria. I know. I think that's the only one where they're actually all looking forward. (laughs) 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 But we were out there for about over an hour, you know, trying to arrange them and (laughs) they kept running around and, you know, it just, you know, it's a lot of work, I tell you that. But hmm. but um, now I'm going to go back to that quit smoking. So $10 a day, what I'm going to do is take um, whatever money I save from the month before. And I'm going to, I was thinking of just saving it all up because 365 days a year is $3,650. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. So yeah. I decided, you know, I've tried, tried to think of doing that before and it, I've always, you know, poo-pooed on it and took the money out or whatever. So this time I decided that once a month or twice a month I'm going to take a mini vacation 
Mm. and find something fun I want to do and maybe get a hotel by there and find out where the coffee shop is and a couple other free or cheap things I can do in the area, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, give myself something every month as a reward. You know, because yeah. that's $300 a month. Yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, what comes to mind is like, yeah, live, right? Yeah, exactly. For you know, I I turned 60 and I told my kids, I said, well, I just turned 60 years old. I said, now it's my time to live. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, mm. I had uh, my birthday cake and that was during uh, COVID. And uh, so anyway, um, I told my daughter, you better kick those candles out of the cake. I said, because nobody's going to want to eat the cake if I blow all over it. <laughs> 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 so I blew this. I closed my eyes and said, oh, I'll make a wish. And I, I closed my eyes and blew out the candles and then opened my eyes and go, oh, I got my wish. I got a house. I got my family and friends and, um, you know, Aww. this and that. And, and I got my dog and you already can run in. I got a fantastic roommate. I go, what more hmm. could I want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, puppies or other things, you know, give us a sense of connection, you know, with mm-hmm. And then, and then we need community. I mean, those are two, like, just yeah. simple, basic, super important parts of healing. You know, oh, and he's the cutest dog and too. She, mm, mm. Yes, she's right. my she's my emotional support dog. What's right. what's her name again? Bella, and yeah. she's sitting here trying to get me to play with the toy while I'm on the phone. She doesn't like it when I'm on the phone. Now, you crochet, right, Annie? Yes, I do. Yes? Yeah, she crocheted, and she crocheted, she's making something, but she made a little teeny sliver of whatever she's making and wrapped it around her dog and took a picture. Oh, my God, it's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Nice. She does beautiful work. And that can be really healing, too, Um, like arts and crafts and creating things. Tapping into our creativity, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Today I felt depressed. I felt depressed mm-hmm. today, and I picked up my crochet and crocheted for a while, and now I feel better. Yeah. It it really did yeah. help my brain. Yeah. Doing something that um, is pattern repetitive or rhythmic is on on one level, you know, kind of physical level, but uh, also just putting our mind to something. Uh, is good for the mind. And then creativity is good for the spirit. It's all there. And I like crafts too because you, you actually have something that you created, you know, even if it's just coloring a picture, you know, you can look at it afterwards mm-hmm. and go, look, I did that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to um, end with uh, another reflection from this Gareth Higgins um, and it basically is ending with saying live, you know. Um, so thinking about what you just shared, uh, uh, Victoria, and, and all of us. So it's a real brief, and I'll stop there. Uh, it's technically called a blessing for when the world seems too much. It says, you are light, you are holy, you are called into this moment, this time, and place. Invisible hands hold you. You are not cursed. You are called. You have made it this far, 
and now is not the time to start fighting against reality. Some folks didn't make it this far. May we do for them what they are no longer able to do, live. So thank you for for your example. Yeah, for your example of living and, and growing and learning and sharing all that with others. We appreciate it. Yeah, I love that. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dr. Romo. We only have a minute and 21 seconds left. And so um, I'll just do a little identification and then we can go back to your talking. This has been Stop Child Abuse Now. It's the name of the show. And it's also called SCAN. That's the, the initials for it. So this is SCAN show number 3314. All of our shows are recorded, and then they're archived on the website. So you can go back and listen to the show, any show that you want to. There's like 3,000 of them that you can Mm. listen to. And they're archived on the NASCA website, and that is nasca.org, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. And this, uh, let me just say, this radio show is on five nights a week at starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And everyone's welcome to call in. It's a call-in show. And I can't think of anything else. We have nine seconds left. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great evening. Okay. Bye now. Don't